Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, brought to you by the Sportsman Channel. All hunting, all fishing, all the time. Contact your local network provider and ask about the Sportsman Channel today. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Christian Berg. Okay, welcome to another episode of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. This is editor Christian Berg, and today I am very enthusiastic about another great guest that we have lined up for you. It is none other than Matt McPherson, uh, Chief Executive Officer of Matthews, Inc. Um, Matt, it's great to have you with us today, and I appreciate you taking some time to be on Bowhunting Radio. Well, my privilege, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. So, Well, I got to tell you, I guess I should start out with a confession, Matt, because... Uh, you know, somewhere in life, I, I must have taken a very wrong turn because I wasn't always a Matthew shooter. Uh, but I did actually just get my, my first Matthews this year. Uh, I got one of your new Z7s, and I've been shooting that for about a month now. And I got to tell you, um, you know, anyone who reads the magazine uh, has seen your ads where you call this bow smooth, smooth, smooth. And that absolutely lives up to the description. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, ever drawing a bow that was smoother and easier to draw and yet, you know, still produces a tremendous amount of speed and, and accuracy. I mean, it's been pretty amazing. So I, my hat is off to you on the Z7. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I can look at draw force curves and, and, and read the materials on the website and whatnot, but why don't you just, you know, give me a little overview of why, what do you think it is about that Z7 that makes it so smooth and, and just so sweet to shoot? Well, I think, you know, over the years, uh, we have uh, transitioned through so many different types of force draw curves. Originally, when, uh, you know, uh, recurves, as you pull them back, of course, the four-star curve just got steeper and steeper and steeper towards the end. And so uh, we, we called it stacking years ago. The bows would, you know, stack. One that didn't stack would would stay on a pretty even plane at an angle, of course, getting higher and higher and higher in the poundage. But it wouldn't uh, start turning upward so much. Uh, so that would be one that doesn't stack so much. The the bows that were typically shorter, uh, they would they would call them, they would say, that, well, that bow stacks a lot. What that means is it would, like, all of a sudden, instead of just going on a straight line, it would start curving up uh, faster. Uh, it was, you know, effectively getting closer and closer to breaking is what happens. And that's, as you get closer and closer to breaking something, that uh, curve gets uh, more and more vertical. Uh, on compound bows, there are, you know, the first ones that came out, they peaked very slowly, and then they came down very slowly. So, in other words, the peak on a 30-inch draw, as an example, would probably peak somewhere in the in the 23 or uh, or so inch range. Uh, it would like peak at, let's say, it was a 60-pound bow. It would start out, of course, at zero, and you you'd pull it, and you got to about the 23-inch mark, 22-inch mark, some of that area. It would peak out. And uh, it would immediately start coming back down. Mm -hmm. So it would just be kind of a point. And so it was only 60 for a very, very short little moment. However, uh, because of, of, of the nature of that four-struck curve, those bows would still uh, store more energy than a typical recurve. Not a lot more, but uh, they, they would store a little more. Over time, <clears throat> we learned to flatten that curve out at the top, like and hold it, have it peak at 60 quicker and hold 60 longer, and then come down at the end. Now, over the years, um, you know, cans have gotten more and more aggressive because of the need for speed. People, you know, they just always they always want to shoot the fastest thing they can get their hands on. It has kind of been the typical thing. What has happened nowadays is, is that the bows are almost a square curve. They they feel like they go straight up to exactly. 60 pounds, yeah. hold 60 forever, and then drop down to the 70 or 80% let off almost instantly at the end. That's kind of the impression, and they become very, very aggressive. So if you start if you start getting used to a bow that's very aggressive, and then you back it up a little bit and make a few compromises in the sense of stored energy and maybe make it make it not peak so quickly because one that peaks almost instantly, which is how it feels, feels like you're pulling against a brick wall, and you know that makes it uncomfortable feeling. Uh, whereas if you take a little bit longer to peak, uh, then it feels a little more comfortable. And then if you start letting off a little sooner so it doesn't uh, go all the way to the end and drop in the last two inches, 
a two-inch drop from a peak to the valley is a very uncomfortable feel. Uh, that would be the most aggressive ones out there. It would be about a two-inch drop from a peak weight to the actual holding weight. Uh, three inches um, would be like our typical, our monster is, is like a three-inch. So it's still very aggressive, but uh, you, you can ergonomically get used to it pretty quickly. Uh, but but by going to this, you know, it's like anything. The fastest cars in the world are not the most comfortable cars to drive. I mean, it's just the reality of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's you look for a compromise. You look for a, a, a car that's fast enough and very comfortable. That's as, certainly at least at my age, that's what I'm looking for. And I think a lot of archers are out there are looking for the, you know this the experience to be enjoyable. And the really, really aggressive cams can sometimes take a little bit of fun out of it because it's so aggressive, it's just plain harder to pull. Mm-hmm. So you don't get anything for nothing. That's the old saying years ago. Uh, you don't get anything for nothing. If you work harder to pull a bow back to get more speed, you know, you're still working harder. And, and some people really, they're not necessarily wanting to work that hard. And so I think what we did is we found a just a tremendously great little sweet spot with the Z7, which is... You know, ironically, the Z7 is as fast as our Black Max was. And the Black Max ruled ruled the archery world for many, many years as the fastest compound bow in the world, which was only a five-and-a-half-inch brace sight, and it was very aggressive. Well, the Z7, I've uh, I've designed more efficiencies into it, much more efficiencies into it than even the Black Max. The Black Max in it today was a very efficient bow. So we're getting more and more spoiled every year, but we're getting closer to the ultimate, um, um, you know, uh, theoretical that you, we can for efficiency. I just measured a bow today, uh, one of the one of the monster bows uh, that with a with a heavier arrow was over ninety percent efficient, you know, and which is amazing. That means you can only get another ten percent. Uh, however, again, you're dealing with something that's peaking very quickly, holding a long time, and coming down at the end. So I think, in answer to your question, I know kind of a long roundabout way, the bottom line is we really needed to find what speed do people think is still really fast, yet is really pleasurable to shoot. And I worked really hard at designing that into the Z7. And the reverse roller guard, uh, the reverse assist roller guard, really made a big difference also in how it feels, the impression was that it pulled easier than its uh, 70 pounds or 60 pounds, whatever you got to set up. So yeah. there was a number of factors that came in there, and um, it really it just kind of all came together uh, in, in that bow, and, and we're having the best year ever, um, the biggest seller ever for us, um, and just the most response. The highest percentage bow uh, we've ever had uh, in our lineup. It's running 70-some percent of all of our sales, even though we have, you know, I don't know, 14 bows, whatever it is. It's like 70-some percent of the sales, so it's it's an amazing, um, amazing thing to see. Yeah, there's a lot of good word on the street about that bow, for sure, you know, yeah. and that's, that's uh, it's spreading quickly. Talk a little bit about that reverse assist roller guard. You know, for people who, if you haven't seen the bow, and again, you can get on, you know, the Matthews Inc., dot com website to to see photos and and demos and that sort of thing but basically what you guys have done instead of having uh, the cables pulling away from the bow when you draw you've got kind of a double roller mechanism and and it looks like you've got the stress actually pushing back in towards the riser is that what's going on yes Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And and what is the you know in layman's terms for those of us who aren't you know engineers, how does that increase that feeling of smoothness? It's a great question. Uh, what happens is with a standard roller guard, which a, a roller guard is is a huge advantage over just a regular slider. A slider is just rubbing. You've got things sliding; they're rubbing on each other. Where a roller gets to roll. And uh, because of the bearings, and, and, and of course the bearings are still rubbing, but it's much, much, much smaller amount of friction. So it feels a lot smoother. Well, the fact is at full draw, your cables are under the highest tension at full draw. And uh, so those rollers are loaded the highest at that point. So it would make sense to actually have the rollers uh, have the least amount of wrap. In other words, as you're wrapping around a roller with a string, uh, the more you wrap, you know, the more degrees around that roller that you're wrapped, uh, the more you're going to feel that on that roller. So with a reverse assist, actually at full draw, we have the least amount of cable touching the roller at that point. Um, so it, it just it just feels 
uh, a lot less friction. You know, it's not getting tighter on a roller; it's getting looser on a roller. So it, it, it the, lo- the rollers are, are are not loaded as highly, and so it just it has worked uh, to our advantage certainly, and just the feel factor. And you know, what's amazing is we are capable of really sensing uh, very very minute changes in friction. You, you may not think you are until you actually pull. Like, let's say you pull the reason, one of our reason bows back from last year, and then you pull the Z7. It's noticeable that the Z7 pulls smoother, and um, just just uh, it's more buttery. You know, I don't know how to explain it. So interesting, and 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 you know, just uh, to touch on you know, just another major feature of this new Z7 is you've got this new gridlock riser too which is something new for Matthews this year and uh, just a lot of cutouts in this thing um, you really have uh, come up with this grid pattern to I guess kind of reduce weight and maximize stability at the same time right yeah yeah it's a, it was an idea that the, that we've had for for a number of years and it just was like one of those things that uh, to do it was going to take a lot of um, it was going to take a lot of machine time because you're having to punch a hole and, and carve it out, lift it up the head, come over, punch another hole, carve it out. And we're having to use smaller tools than we have in the past. When you use a smaller cutting tool, you have to go a lot slower at the cutting rate. So we have a lot more machine time into this. Uh, I knew it would be, you know, it'd be a kind of a cool look to do it that way, and I just kind of saved it for now to do it. Uh, and I think it was uh, the timing was really, really good. It worked out really well for us, and, and the people have just embraced it. Uh, uh, really, really well. I mean, we couldn't be happier with uh, the results we're getting. So, uh, it's, it, my problem is always, you know, what what am I going to do next year? You know, uh, always having to try to work on, you know, how do you top what you did the year before? It's a little bit like a, a a singer. You know, you're only as good as your last hit song, right? So, it's it's something that uh, is always on my mind. I'm always, you know, no matter where I'm at, I'm I'm working on new designs, you know, in my head. Uh, but uh, we do a lot of testing. Um, just have a, a great group of people to run it by, and uh, I just have some of the best people in the world working for me. And I'm just I'm just privileged to have these people on my side. And and uh, we've, you know what? It's uh, it's exciting to be uh, in this in this economy, which is really kind of goofy. It, it's it's uh, exciting to have a, a product that right now we're this is the biggest year we've ever had. So. Well, that's great. That's great. You know, I picked up on something that you you said a couple minutes ago when you were talking about speed because, you know, I feel the same way that you do. You know, I always tell people the speed doesn't kill, accuracy kills. And what I mean yeah, by that, I mean, of course, you know, in a perfect world, I'll have all the speed I can get and all the accuracy I can get. But but the point right. I'm trying to make is, you know, if you can be just a little bit more accurate with a bow that's just maybe a little bit less aggressive, I think you're better off going that way. And it seems like, you know, you've said that, uh, you know, guys that I have work, you know, with here at the magazine are always kind of hammering that in in the articles that we write and yet in spite of that it seems like there's still some segment of the bow hunting community that is got this you know insatiable need for speed uh where do you think that comes from matt and 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 you know how to how do you address it well, you know, the, the the speed thing just comes from human nature. We're never satisfied. Uh, you know, we always want more. More is always better. I mean, that's kind of the nature of our, of our being. And uh, unfortunately, is what destroys a lot of people is that need to always have to have more. I think finding things in balance is, is important. Uh, when it comes to the speed of bows, again, uh, I've I've joked with people over the years and said, you know, just be careful getting fast bows because you might just miss quicker, you know. And, uh, you know, missing quicker isn't any more fun than missing slower, you know. Uh, the, the best thing to do is placement. And I think, uh, just like life, I like ice cream, uh, but you know what? I can't have ice cream and nothing else, you're right? I need to be able to, I need to have a, a good combination of things. I need I need to find balance in, in what I eat. And the same thing is with, with bows. I think you, the finding balance is finding a bow that's got great speed, uh, but it also has a, a great feel to it. Part of our experience of shooting in, in, I think, target panic, which a lot of people deal with, uh, part of the experience of target panic is feeling like you're, you're, you've got a beast on your hands, you know, where, where all of a sudden you've got something that's ready to, you know, just, you know, 
spring, you know, spring open, you know, and, and I think the the really, really high, all the companies that make really high energy bows, I think a little bit of the problem is it can develop bad habits because people have a tendency to just, just kind of start feeling like they got to punch the trigger to get that thing off no. of there. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, if you've shot, you know, as I'm sure you do, and I have an opportunity to, and for, for listeners, you know, I've certainly had bows like that where, you know, you had talked about before, you have a very short distance in the draw cycle between that peak and dropping yep. down into the valley. And if you... You know, let yourself creep at all. Creep at all. You're suddenly finding yourself jerking your arm back because of, you know it's pulling you right back into that draw cycle. And the best right. word that I could come up with, you know, to describe, you know, I actually talked to a buddy of mine who owns a pro shop about this, and we tamed it somewhat by um, changing the cam timing just a little to increase the size of the valley with that particular bow, but. Point being, you know, yep. it can make you a little flinchy at full draw. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yep. I mean, that's in fact, something... I would say that people, if people do have a target panic uh, problem, you know, or a buck fever, they may call it, uh, you might find that you'd do much better to crank it down uh, or get a bow that's 10 pounds lighter and is not aggressive. Um, you know, something uh, more like the. Um, you know, like the adrenaline and in, in the, in the, or the newer bows that we've got that have our more rounder-looking cams. They're still fast, but they're not as aggressive. And something with a higher brace height. Um, a great bow that we had for a while, you know, was uh, was the, the the LD, the Switchback uh, LD Long Drop. And it was a 9-ish brace height. And, yeah, I was toned down for speed, but still adequate penetration. Here's something that, that would, that's, I think, an FYI for everybody to know. Uh, we we have this need for speed and power, and we we kind of get this uh, impression that if we shoot, uh, you know, like a really really aggressive bow, like let's say the Accelerate, which is still the fastest at 80% bow in the world, there's there's no bow that we've ever measured that is as fast as that. Um, you know, that bow will develop at 70 pounds, 30 inch draw with a 500, uh, excuse me, with a 350 grain arrow. Will develop right at 100 foot pounds of kinetic energy, which is just crazy amount of energy from what we used to shoot. But to understand that, um, that's at 30 inch draw, 70 pounds. I remember a friend of mine whose uh, nephew had shot a deer and had gone clean through both sides, uh, and uh, the arrow had passed completely through. And uh, I and I thought, wow, I knew that this was a little bow. And so I said, would you bring that bow in? I want to run. I want to, I'm wondering what that kinetic energy is. It can't be very much. And come to find out, it was 19 foot-pounds of kinetic energy, you know, and it had gone through both sides, it had double-lunged, and it had continued going. There. Said it was, well, here, here's a DXT pounds? that's, 19, it was 19. 19. 19 foot-pounds of kinetic energy. So which just and it had gone through show... both sides. When, when, you know, you'll get guys at the local archery club arguing over whether you need 68 pounds or you got to have 70. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it really is, it really is kind of silly because, uh, even, even a DXT, which is considered a, a pretty fast bull, but not crazy fast, uh, is 80, 80 foot pounds, a little over 80, actually. Mm -hmm. Adrenaline was right at 80. Uh, you know, and so really we we've kind of gotten to a point where we think we're going to knock animals over and here's here's the here's the the, the clincher here everybody knows what a 22 long rifle is right uh not a very powerful gun right well a 22 long rifle has roughly 150 foot pounds of the kinetic energy 150 mm -hmm. so that'll kind of put us perspective on congratulations and accelerate is two thirds the power of a 22 mm. so Obviously, we're not going to kill animals by force. You know, when we hunt, it is it is it's because of the broadhead. It's because of good placement. And uh, so, the important and the most important thing is to understand that you only need about you know 19 foot pounds of kinetic energy to actually uh, to uh, to collect an animal. You know, like a deer. Uh, and all the bulls out there are you know. In the, typically in the, in the, you know, depends on if you're shooting 60 or 70, are in the typically of over 50 foot-pounds of kinetic energy. So sure. plenty of kinetic energy. Some of, that, some of that extra energy between 19 and 80, though, can come in handy on, let's say, less than optimal hits, perhaps. You yes. I mean, and that's what, that's what people... Go ahead. That's kind of what they're pushing. Yeah, right. 19 foot-pounds in the chest is okay. 19 foot-pounds... 
you know, in the shoulder. In the shoulder blade is, you know, maybe start time to pray. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> but I guess the other way to look at it is maybe, maybe it's best if you don't try to ram it through there, you know, um, and that it falls out and the deer heals up. Yeah. You know, because you didn't make a good placement. Sure. So, um, I think I think no matter what, because a tendency for the people that shoot the higher poundage in the the higher energy bows, the tendency is to just try to shoot long distances. Uh, so they end up just kind of making poor decisions there too. I, I think that I think the thing to understand is is uh, deer uh, in in the animals that we hunt um, to respect them in a way that we do our best to to make sure that we are um, you know doing a good job to have well placement to make a minimal uh, amount of uh, stress on the animal. I mean, if if it's well placed, uh, man, I've had I've had deer you know after I've placed a well-placed shot stop and you know i've heard people saying that their animals even go back to grazing so if, a, if an arrow is placed and then fall over you know just fall over dead uh, a minute later or, or less so the reality is this i think you know if, if we do our homework and we do a good job um find a bow that has kind of all the all of the uh, above benefits in, in a way that's balanced good speed uh great feel uh, in something that you feel confident in. That's the most important thing. If you feel confident, you'll hit your mark. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, there's a lot of truth to that. I think confidence in, in what you're holding, you know. Uh, I wrote an article several years ago when I was, before I had come to the magazine, I was still in the newspaper world at that time about a gentleman who killed uh, the new non-typical state record here in Pennsylvania and he was shooting a bow that was about 20 years old and he's still shooting fingers and this was just about three years ago Matt and I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought to myself you know well you know I asked him about it and that's exactly what he said he said well I like the way it shoots you know <laughs> well hey it was, it's been working for him hasn't it it did you know? yeah I mean what was I going to say at that point he had just killed you know a 220 inch deer or whatever so yeah uh, th- th- there you have it well listen now that we've spent 10 minutes extolling the virtues of smoothness and, and not being a slave to speed and all that. Uh, I wanted to jump over and then talk about the fact that, on the other hand, you guys came out last year with the monster, right? The new McPherson. Yep. It was new last year, the McPherson series. And, um, yep. you know, that actually, I mean, I know that caused quite a bit of uh, conversation in the bow hunting community because, of course, you guys had been promoting. Uh, solo cam for probably 15 years or longer and really you know had kind of become the core of the Matthews brand at least you know to an outsider's perspective like myself and so then you guys come out with this monster and it was like whoa what is what are what are what are they doing over there um what was your thought process in saying okay now do we want to come out with the two cam bow and did you have concerns that you know, people were going to get confused about, you know, the difference between solo cam and, and the ABS system that you developed for the monster? ABS, yep. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's a good question. You know, the reality that most people don't know is I built my first two cam compound bow in 19, uh, uh, 1970. So I was, I was building compound bows, you know, of two cam compound bows all the way up to 1992. And so uh, I know how to build two cam bows, and there is a there is somewhat of a market for two cam bows. People, some people, for whatever reason, just want to shoot a two cam bow. And uh, I got to thinking, well, you know, if you want a two cam bow, I can build one. And uh, I had this concept, uh, this ABS uh, technology concept. And what we did is we just did a lot of testing and uh, came up with a system that was it was it's the most efficient two cam system in the world. Um, now, what does that mean? That means work in, work out. You get more. Uh, work out uh, of how much work you put in. You just, it's a higher efficiency. And uh, so, you know, the, the people that just have to have a two-cam bow, we can build the best of. Uh, we still sell by far, we sell uh, more single cams. Because I think most people understand that single cams, you know, the reality of a single cam is this there's just less to go wrong. I mean, face it. Uh, it, it would be like if, you're, if in your car there was two engines trying to run a drivetrain. Mm-hmm. And trying to keep those things uh, synchronized, there are there are good synchronization synchronization systems that will work well, but it's never good as one engine because one engine isn't going to fight against itself. Um, so, I think the AVS system, you know, addressed 
uh, as good as you can do it as far as a, a, a two-camp system, and it works very well. And in fact, frankly, uh, won the first uh, round of uh, the, the I believe the ASA in, in in Florida this year was it was an accelerate of all things that won won that particular shoot down there in Florida. So uh, obviously, it performs very very well. But my you know, just from an engineering standpoint, single cam, uh, single cam bows, I believe, are, are really the best there is out there because they're just simpler. And um, when you have fewer um, uh, parts to something, you just have fewer uh, variables. And if you have less variables, you're just going to be more consistent, you know. So um, the two cam thing was something, hey, there are some people that want to buy two cams, and they were, they were buying two cams instead of our single cams, and I thought, well... I don't mind spreading it out and, and giving them what they want if that's what they want. Good news is uh, most people are still buying single cambos uh, in our in our lineup, even though we offer the highest efficiency, highest highest speed uh, two cambos in the world. So, right. Um, so, I think they get it. So, so am I hearing now that Matt McPherson wouldn't wouldn't take a monster out with him when he was going to his tree stand? He'd rather have the Z7 or. Correct. Gotcha. But but basically, Correct. and in real in real simplified terms here, you know the advantage, if you want to call it that, of a two cam bow, you can you can load more energy and thus release more energy. But yeah, by by about ten feet per second. So that's a lot to give up. It's a lot to give up to just for ten feet per second. That's and, how I see it. And when you say give up, you're talking about basically inconsistency of of knock travel. Or... No, it's not not travel. It's just it's just uh, you know, if you do if you do run into any uh, inconsistencies in cam time, then yes, you'll get a wag in your not travel. You'll get an S curve. Um, in in the good news is the AVS system is very difficult to get very far out. So you know, in reality, they lock really really well. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of difference between single cams and that, but. Listen, when it comes to being a purist, and which is what I am, uh, I'm always going to pick the thing that is the most, the purest thought. And uh, when when, it's, when you're talking about 10 feet per second, you understand if it's 10 feet per second faster, it's also harder to pull. Mm -hmm. So there is a compromise there. You're having to work harder to pull it. Um, so you're really not gaining anything in that in that book, you know. So yeah, because at 10 feet per second, if a deer is standing 30 yards away. You know, you're how, not gonna. How many hundredths of a second is the difference in the time that yeah, your it, arrows can it's, get? Yeah, it's 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 pretty much imperceptible. So, bottom line is, you guys are feel like now you're covering pretty much the entire marketplace from A to Z with what you're offering, but you still see solo cam well, as the core of of what you're absolutely, doing. absolutely. A lot of our competitors sell both, and uh, I thought, well, you know. You guys, you know, if you want to sell both, I can sell both too. And so we, we really took it on to just kind of, to kind of basically say, hey, listen, you know, we can, we can do whatever the consumer wants, and we've we've been very aggressive about it, and uh, we we produce the highest efficiency single camps in the world and the highest efficiency two camps, which is something that's very very important to me as an engineer. I mean, I'm always looking for. Uh, something that not only just is hard, you know, that stores more energy, but something that, that delivers more energy. That's kind of the, the ticket, because who wants to work hard and get very little out of it, right? Right, right. And speaking of engineering, you know, that was another thing I was going to ask you about. I, I saw on the website that you actually personally design every single new cam that, that Matthews develops and puts on the market. Is that right? Yeah, I design all the bows and all the all those those parts. It, it's you know why? It's because it's something that is dear to me. I love doing it. Um, it's something that I think about a lot. So I'm always working on stuff, and I need an outlet for for uh, you know just my energy. You know, I'm definitely an energetic guy, and uh, I, I love doing that. I mean, I know more ways how not to make a bow than probably anybody in this world. You know, and so that means I've made a lot of bows that that you know in in testing that didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out, uh, which gave me a bigger pool of engineering, you know, um, knowledge to pull from. So it does give me an advantage. I enjoy doing it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, um, uh, it's something that I have passion for. Absolutely. And, and not only uh, do you have passion about it, but obviously a whole lot of, uh, natural ability because I read somewhere that you never went, another day of school after high school. Is that right? 
Yeah, you know, and I'm not saying that's a good idea for people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them, you know, use it as a role model. Uh, it just, it just was the path that I took, and I felt very confident um, that where I needed to go. And uh, I just school to me was like prison. I mean, I literally called it prison when I was in school, and I was counting down how many days left in prison. You know, that's that's how I how I felt school to be to me. Uh, I learned very visually. I'm not. I'm not a guy that's a book kind of guy, you know. I have people sending me books all the time, and I'm just like, hey, don't bother sending me a book because I'm probably not going to read it. But if you want to send me an audio tape, great. I'll, I'll listen to CDs. I do a lot of that. And I can read fine. It's just that I don't absorb nearly as well uh, from what I read as opposed to what I hear. For some reason, what I hear uh, works better than, than actually having to read it. So. Yeah, and you. Actually, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't designed for school. And and, and you actually had recently uh, uh, said that you actually you give a lot of credit for, uh, you know, the the basic engineering skills that you you picked up were like in a shop class, right, in junior and senior high. So. Well, I wouldn't say that the skills came from that. That would were that would be where I ran the test. Uh, yeah, listen, first of all, I, I come from a family of, of uh, ministers, and my dad was a minister, and I come from a very strong faith background, and I absolutely uh, pray for wisdom, just uh, straight up. I ask for wisdom. Uh, the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask. So that's what I do. Uh, but my father uh, had patents, and my mother's brother, uh, Ed Hansen, uh, from Milwaukee area, Racine actually, Wisconsin, uh, had like a dozen patents to his name. So on both sides of the family, I've got family members who had patents. And it's just something that I was wired to do is, is to look at things and go, hey, you know, why, why is it made that way? Why, wouldn't, why shouldn't they make it this way? You know, and, and so I was always questioning everything I saw and um, learned a, a lot even as a kid growing up. Um, I, I was always building things and and um, figuring out, uh, you know, why something worked or didn't work. Hmm. That's great, you know, to 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 just have <clears throat> to have some of that God-given ability and and you know just the drive to sort of develop it and and let it take its course. It's it's obvious that you've been extremely successful with that, and it must be kind of neat too when you sit back and think about you know on any given day in November, you know how many hundreds of thousands of, of hunters are out there across North America, you know, tagging trophies was something that you had a hand in. Uh, you ever sit back and think about that? Yeah, I do. I do. And I tell you what, I'm, uh, I honestly, there's times where I'm just overwhelmed by the reality that, um, that I, you know, have been a part of that. It's, it's been, it's been exciting. And I, I gotta tell you what, I've got, again, uh, I've got so many, fantastic people that work for me that are behind the scenes that nobody ever hears about them. I'm just going to just break on them for a second because they, uh, I, I really have some of the best people in the world working for me that are impregnable people that just know, uh, uh, you know, how things should be, should be done. And I've been able to delegate things over the years to these people and they've just gotten better and better and better. And they're just, they're world-class, world-class in the manufacturing, world-class in the marketing. And yes, I'm, you know, I, I'm a part of all that, but, uh, I really do believe in plugging people into their strengths, and I've got a lot of people with a lot of strengths working for me. So trust me, I'm excited about that. You know, just recently, uh, I just checked on some things, and uh, one of the things I looked at is we we passed over the half-billion-dollar mark. You know, we've sold uh, uh, well over half a billion dollars' worth of archery bows since Matthews began, began. and so it's uh, it's exciting to um, to know that that's, man, that's a lot of stuff for a small industry like archery. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And, and you know, the, the other thing about Matthews is, um, you know, people, one of the questions, you know, you get all the time is, what's the best bow, you know, that's out there? And it's it's kind of like trying to tell somebody what's the best food, you know. it's There's so many good bows out there, but right. Matthews has a cult following, if you, you know, let me call it that. It's not, <laughs> for, for lack of a word, right? But, I mean, you guys have... Yeah have a following that seems to go above and beyond what what you might see with loyalty to some of these other brands and it's I don't know how you've cultivated that but it's it's pretty obvious you know you see the the stickers on the back of the pickup trucks and and what is it about what you guys have been doing that you think has been so successful in connecting with you know the audience and the customer base you know, I think that's an excellent question. I think it's a multi, multi-loaded question. I mean, in, in reality, there's a lot of things we've done 
uh, you know, we we have broken a lot of uh, the traditional designs of bows, how they how they were made in the past. You know, we we have been very very aggressive in innovation. You know, like the parallel limb. You know, started that in like. Uh, in 1996, with uh, the the first uh, bow called the Signature, and you know, just started making the limbs shorter and more parallel over the years, and had to wait for press, you know, limb bow presses to catch up with that too, because mm-hmm. uh, back then there was no press that could handle the bows of the bows of today. So we just kind of slowly brought that in, but just being aggressive in design, and uh, always, I believe. You know, a huge part of it is 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 uh, hopefully the favor of God. You know, I mean, we're uh, we're very very interested in in very much active around the world in um, making a difference in people's lives. I mean, we we are involved with drilling wells uh, for people in areas that don't have good water, uh, building churches, buildings who who don't have uh, buildings or good buildings to to be uh, involved with uh, uh, orphanages and. and uh, Helping families uh, to be able to afford uh, to adopt kids from orphanages in, in third world countries—that's uh, kind of where my passion is. To be perfectly, you know, honest, that is where my main passion is. Is, is somehow, you know, in, in in the however many years and days that I have to live on this earth, I want to know when I'm dying. Did I, you know, did I live for all all for myself, or or was I working? Hopefully. Uh, diligently at uh, making a difference in other people's lives and, and kind of focusing on those things which are more important yeah i mean that is that is so true you know i had a conversation with um somebody else in the industry just a couple of days ago and, and and basically i said you know there's a question that i like to ask myself and and i don't like to get too preachy with people so i i try to kind of soft sell it but the question is to what end you know and it's whatever you're doing in life you know ask yourself to what to what end am i doing this you yeah. know, why am i striving yeah. for this and and if you ask right. yourself that question in life and you give yourself honest answers i think it reveals a lot about you know what's going on inside your heart you know and you can use that as a self evaluation tool so you know I, yeah i think that's a, i think that's a great uh, great way to look at it and it will help you focus hopefully on what's important you know mhm and and in mm-hmm. another way that you guys are giving back and something that i definitely wanted to touch on is this national archery in the schools program um, right. i had done a little piece for the magazine actually for a it was in our October issue last year, and at that time, I had gotten some information from them. 4.6 million children, as of last fall, had been touched by the NASP program, and you guys are obviously one of the major, if not the largest, supporter of that program, both financially as well as through um, the Genesis Bow and the things that that has enabled the instructors to accomplish with that program. I mean, talk to me a little bit about your passion, not only for NASP, just about, you know, getting young people involved in archery and exposing them to, to shooting. Well, of course, on the surface, you know, uh, we we would love to have everybody, all six billion, six and a half billion people in the world shooting archery, right? I mean, because we think it's a great sport. It's a great uh, way to bring families together. Um, and uh, there is a tremendous support, not only from men and boys, but from women and uh, girls to shoot archery. It's something that is really uh, interesting to pretty much every Every kind of person from any kind of culture, they, they like the idea of shooting archery. There's something very basic about it. So we love the idea about growing the sport of archery, okay, first of all. But the, the root of all this, to me, again, is the changed lives that we hear stories of. Uh, principals have come up to me, and teachers and, and parents have written me letters and just said, this has totally changed my child. And in some cases, to the point to where they said, we don't even recognize our kid anymore. And we're glad we don't recognize him because... He's happy now, and he wasn't before. Or she is is uh, finally doing well in school because they feel like they were good at something, you know. And wow, that stuff just fires me up. We've invested. I personally invested more than uh, two million dollars into this thing. So yeah, we're the largest uh, supporter of this. Uh, I think we've given more than all the other um, organizations combined. But again, it's my passion, and again, it, it, it feeds back to my original statement of, you know, what am I doing all this for? It's not. Uh, it's not uh, for me. It's it's to be able to to impact as many people as possible. For me, I find that infectious. To me, I find that that's what drives me when I get up in the morning. That's the first thing I'm thinking. What can I do more? You know, what can I do more of mm-hmm. that can make a bigger impact? It's it's something that when you start doing that in your life, 
and and if you don't if you don't focus on yourself and you focus on others, I, I, I mean I don't want to sound surpy, but for for Pete's sake, uh, anytime you've ever done something for somebody else that was maybe thoughtful and maybe unexpected. You know the feeling it gave you also when you saw the surprise on their face or or just knowing the impact it had, even if you didn't be them. It's, uh, it's infectious, and uh, the more we do here, the more it, it inspires all of us. I've had a number of our workers and employees come up to me and just say, you know, thank you that, that, that uh, you know, you, you guys do what you do in, in a sense of uh, – Supporting people around the world, that makes me want to work harder. That what makes me want to be a part of this company even more than it was before. So it's exciting to know that not only from my point of view, but I think this inspires the employees at, at, at my company to, uh, uh, to to work harder and, and understand that this is uh, we're working for a greater cause. And, mm-hmm. uh, boy, there's a, there is a lot of suffering in the world. There is a lot of, you know, we, we also invest in uh, relief organizations that go to places like Haiti, you know, or, or the tsunami that hit a couple years ago or a few years ago. And so, uh, again, those are the things that, again, I feel that uh, as long as I can, I want to I be doing that kind of stuff. And uh, if for some reason that it ever dried up and, and I wasn't able to give financially anymore, I'd be out there physically doing something, whatever I can do. I, I think that that's, what I, that's my focus. That's what drives me. That's what... Uh, makes me um, personally uh, happy to get up in the morning and, and go at it again. And uh, I remember just this morning I was out on my deck in my house and I was just like saying, man, what more can I do? Because I really, I, I see that all of our lives we have, you know, it's sometimes when you're young, especially you feel like you're going to live forever. But you know what? None of us are going to live forever in this body. And so we have a certain amount of time to make a difference, to make an impact. And uh, we just, uh, the National Arts and Schools program just puts a smile on my face every time I think about it because we have seen lives changed. And you know what, when a kid who, who isn't good at sports, let's say football, soccer, hockey, wrestling, you know, basketball, mm-hmm. those are, you have to be aggressive in all of those sports. you got to be aggressive, right? Well, there's a lot of kids out there who aren't, just plain aren't aggressive. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean they're not coordinated doesn't mean they're not capable it's just that they're not aggressive so they're they don't do well in the sports so they they get to feeling like a you know a, a, a secondary citizen you know because they, they you know that's kind of how a lot of people measure success and when all of a sudden these kids uh, get involved with archery and they realize wow they can be good at this in fact they usually the ones they're usually the ones that excel because they finally say hey this is something i can do and you know, being aggressive with archery is not good. You know, you know, you know, you, you, it's more of a thought thing and coordination yeah. thing, and you you plot, you plot how you do it, and well, it's more of a thinking game. You know, and so they they do well at it, and it's like they start uh, start uh, uh, feeling better about themselves. And you know what? If they leave school and all they do is just say, "Listen," I, even if they never shot archery again, if they said, "Listen, I was good at something, so I'm I'm sure I can be good at something again," give them that confidence. It's a big thing. Yeah, when I when I uh, wrote the piece uh, for the magazine, I interviewed Roy Grimes, who yep. I'm sure is a friend Great of yours. He's the, he's the president of uh, the National Archery and Schools Program. Yep. And he, he had a quote that I put in the article, which I like. I'm sure you've heard him say it many times. He said, you don't have to be tall, strong, fast, or pretty to have success in archery. So it truly right. is you know something that everybody can do. And actually, some of these numbers, just to wrap up, you know, this section of the, the interview, I, I looked at this was pretty amazed just to even see it again here on paper. Since since the NASP program was started back in 2002, you guys have gotten more than 5,000 schools in 46 states, three Canadian provinces, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa involved yep. in this thing and exposed, like I said, more than 4.6 million kids. So that's the take-home message for everything that Matt just said about, you know, NASP and the other philanthropic things that Matthews is doing is that uh, they're making the world a better place, one Z7 and one Matthews monster at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Let's, uh, let's kind of wrap up here with... Um, with a look towards the future, because you definitely have a reputation in this industry as an innovator. And, um, you know, again, if you go on your website and there's actually a page on there where you can 
see a whole list of the different things that Matthews was a was an innovator in and bringing first to the market over the last you know two or three decades and uh, people are always wondering you know you said something a while back about you sitting in you know your easy chair at night or whatever at home and thinking what am I going to do for 2011 you know how can I top the Z7 and I actually had somebody comment to me just last week about how these guys must have all kinds of ideas you know and they've got it all planned out and I said to them I don't think they do I said I think they do the same thing that we do and they like bang their heads against the wall and think what are we going to do next we we maxed it out there's there's no more speed there's no more efficiency we we've got nothing you know and so how do you how do you come up with the next great idea and what do you think it's going to be and are we all going to be shooting 400 feet per second in five years or what's going on out there well, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I'm always asking for wisdom, you know, but I'm looking at these things and I'm saying, hey, you know what, we are coming to the theoretical limits of the possibilities. You know, we're running, uh, some of these bows are running up as high as 90, about 90% efficiency, uh, depending on what arrow, arrow weight you're shooting in that. And uh, 90% efficient, that means it's only 10% uh, theoretically possible, and you can never get 100%. It's just theoretically possible because yeah, the laws you of don't physics live, say you've got yeah, some energy that right? <laughs> Yep, there's always going to be some energy lost, you know. Um, there's always going to be some energy lost. And uh, so because of that, we're never going to get 100%. So to see much more out of it as far as efficiencies and speed, uh, speed is, you know, listen, I can make a 400 foot per second bow right now. Just I can put a crazy light arrow on, on any one of my bows and get 400 feet per second. It's just not safe. It's not a good idea. Um, so could we see that? I think I think theoretically we could make bows that would shoot 400 feet per second. There would be some things that have to be changed, uh, and it would be mainly uh, it wouldn't be the bows changing so much as the arrows. Uh, but again, the reality of it is this: we want it, we want it to be safe, and missing quicker is is not cool. You know, that's just not the way to go. Uh, I'm always looking for new stuff, and, and in fact, I do have about three to four years typically in my head of directions that I could take. Um, and what I do is I start testing right as soon as I get done with one year, uh, one year end, you know, like uh, the uh, Matthew stuff this last year for the like Z7. I went immediately into designing stuff for 11. So I've I've been working on a lot of ideas, and different things, and and you know, um, just uh, just always trying to you know stay ahead of that curve. So yeah, uh, it's 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 something that I, it's, I'm always aware of, and no matter where I'm at, unfortunately, sometimes because my wife's like going earth to mat, you know, uh, because I'm there physically, but mentally I'm gone, you know, I'm, I'm in another world in thing. In the middle of dinner. <laughs> oh, I, millions of times, you know, <laughs> it seems like, uh, but you know, you, you gotta, when you have that, uh, that intuition or that, that spark of ingenuity, you, you gotta mark it down. You gotta write it down. You know, there's times I've woke up in the middle of the night and got to, had to get up to write, draw it down. So I didn't forget about it, but I'm always working on stuff. And you know, um, all of us are up against the same thing. All of, all of the engineers out there that are working on those are, are, are against the same thing. We are close to the theoretical possibility of, of efficiencies and speed. And, and so, you know, a lot of what's going to happen in the future, I think, is going to be probably uh, just design stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, as, as far as looks, you know, it's just like cars, you know. Nobody talks about, well, I, buy, I bought this car because it'll go 160. I mean, hardly anybody is, is, is in that world. They just go, I love the looks of it, and I love the, the feel of it, you know. Those are the things. The looks and the feel are, are going to be the things that probably where most of the stuff in the future is going to be heading towards. Yeah. And I think the Z7 does that. I think the Z7 is proof of that, you know. Let me let me ask you one specific question since I've got Matt McPherson on the line right now, and I'm really curious to get your take on this, is what do you think about this whole carbon deal that's going on right now? And I'm not trying to call out any one particular manufacturer because I know it's been tried many times. There's actually two companies this year that I'm aware of anyway that are have got, you know, bows that they're coming out with carbon. It seems like, at least theoretically as a material, you know, it's got some superior uh, vibration and noise dampening qualities to to aluminum. Do you think that that could potentially go somewhere if if the reliability is shown, you know, over time, or uh, maybe there's some other materials that might come that would really revolutionize the way bows are made? Uh, do you see anything along those lines? Yeah, I think there's some stuff that can be uh, can be used. I mean, certainly carbon is a certain is a one way of doing it, and there's uh, properties of carbon fiber that uh, are unique to carbon fiber. And, um, you know, it, it's, 
it's an interesting realm. People have done it before. Uh, several companies have made them, uh, and several companies that had made them don't make them anymore. There's also some weaknesses from carbon. Uh, so Lulu has its strengths. Uh, carbon fiber has its strengths. Um, the way one of the companies is making it right now is, is a good way to build it and uh, structurally, uh, you know, very sound. And uh, so I think you'll probably see more carbon fiber stuff in the future uh, to say, is that the way to go? Uh, you know, I, I personally love aluminum because I, I feel like the options for design and, and shape and look is, uh, um, is, is a lot more open architecture for uh, aluminum than there is on the carbon fiber. Uh, will I ever make a carbon fiber riser? You know, I have uh, ideas of how I would do that, and it would be different than, than what you see out there. But everybody's got a different twist on it, and I think um, I think that you know all that is is healthy to be looking into, and uh, it's all kind of exciting to be working on whatever you know, um, whatever whatever you can do with materials that are provided to us. Again, uh, probably probably aluminum will be here forever because. Uh, it has some unique properties that carbon fiber doesn't address. Uh, but then again, carbon fiber can address certain properties that aluminum doesn't do as well. And so I think you're going to see uh, choices out there, just like you see, you know, you see pickup trucks and you see uh, van, minivans and you see, you know, uh, sports cars. You know, depending on what you're looking for, I think people are going to address a wider variety of styles. Gotcha. Well, last question, Matt, because I've taken up, almost an hour of your time and I can't believe how fast it's gone by it's uh, it's been a great conversation I I can't let you go without giving you at least an opportunity if you want to take it to uh, for all the Matthews fans and followers out there do you want to give any little tease or sneak preview of uh, what people might be looking for when you guys come out with the 2011 lineup, which is probably actually, or I bet you already have those things pretty well in the test lab now because uh, we do. you'll probably be putting those things kind of out in about four or five months from now. So uh, what what can people look for for Matthews in 2011? Well, you know, I could, I could, I could tell them that, but then I would have to lock them all up, you know. So <laughs> I'm probably not going to do that. Uh, but you know what I do? I, I want to say straight, straight to the to the consumers who who purchased and supported uh, our products over the years. I just want to say a personal thank you. Uh, you've you have been a part of this philanthropic work we've done around the world. First of all, in the National Arts and Schools program, uh, because of you buying these products, uh, we have uh, helped put bows in the hands of uh, right around five million kids in the United States and around the world. And, you know, the like I told you about the wells that drilled in India and, and for, for good water where there was no good water and, and uh, the, the relief organizations and the orphan, orphanage uh, work that we've done. And that, hey, you know what? I wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for that you were buying my product. I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting our company and for uh, for helping me uh, reach some of these dreams and goals in my life to uh, to do that kind of work. So uh, thank you so much for uh, for supporting us. Well, there you have it, Matthews Shooters. Consider yourself attaboyed by Matt McPherson himself. Uh, Matt, it was great talking to you today. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I, I'm sure people are going to enjoy listening to the show, and uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime soon, okay? All right. Well, God bless. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio with editor Christian Burr. For more information on this and other topics, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.